so glad to be here this evening. So glad to see you and all of God's people that are able to make it by here or by podcast or by Facebook or by YouTube, wherever you are. We're just grateful to say thank you for taking the time um, to worship with us in the study of God's word. And we are in the uh, beginning of the book of Acts. And our subject is Acts, the exciting times uh, of the Bible. We're talking about the book of Acts. The book of Acts uh, is basically a litany or a, a history of the church. It's a history of the birthday and the birth of the church. We begin to see the church born. And if, if you want to really know the purpose of a thing, you go back to the genesis of that thing. If you really want to know what something is supposed to look like, go back to its first creation back to its first original intent. So as believers, it's important for us to be able to look into the Bible. It's written by Luke. Uh, Luke is a physician. Luke is a person uh, who is believed to have walked with Jesus, just as the other disciples did, although he himself was not a disciple. He is a physician, and Luke is one of the most concise writers in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, Luke wrote about 25% of the New Testament. Um, many people do not know that Paul wrote close to two-thirds of it, but Luke wrote about 25% of the New Testament. And of all the Gospels, uh, Luke's is the most concise. He uses a lot of medical terminology because he's a doctor. He uses a lot of high-level Greek, which means that he's very educated, and he pays a lot of attention to detail. And so we see the book of Acts as Luke's sequel um, to the book of Luke that he writes to Theophilus. Some people believe that Theophilus is a person, and some people believe that Theophilus is an alias because Theophilus simply means lover of God. Um, but we see him giving both books dedicated to Theophilus, and we see that as he's beginning to write in the early church, he writes to them and he lets them know about Jesus being resurrected. And we see Jesus start off in the book of Acts. He opens the scenes and we see that that there are red letters still in the book of Acts. So we see most times our mind goes straight to Jesus was born. He was died. He was buried and he rose. And sometimes we stop there. But we see in this te uh, text that Jesus, not only he was born, he was buried, he died and he rose. But he spends a period of about 40 days beginning to minister to those who are left behind and teaching them, the Bible says, about the kingdom of God. We see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it's not in the notes for today, but I want to read it to you, uh, starting at verse 7, Acts chapter 1, verse 7. And uh, it says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and all of the ends of the earth. If you could pull up that first map, guys, I want you to be able to see that when Pentecost hits, you're about to see a map of all the different places that the gospel actually gets to. It starts in that little small spot in Jerusalem, and as you see, it gets all the way to Italy. It's in Europe. It's, in, it's in, over in the eastern countries. It's in Arabia. It's even in northern Africa. So as you can see, those people, when the day of Pentecost, 
Pentecost begins to hit, there are Jews that have come from disbursements all over. There are three major feasts where each Jew or Jewish male was required each year to make one of them. So during this feast of Shavuot or the feast of Pentecost, as we would call it, uh, it's a time of celebration. And this is the time when all the Jews uh, would be in and God uses this to get the gospel to all the different countries. And he tells the disciples, I need you when I go up and we see Jesus leaving a scene. He says, do not move until you are endued with power from on high. In other words, I'm giving you some exciting stuff and I'm giving you some good teaching about the kingdom, but I don't want you to go into operation until you be filled with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And in our culture and our society nowadays, we get in a hurry to do things. We like results. We like things to happen fast. We want to build our churches and our churches to be full fast and things like that. But it's important that we don't move before God tells us to move. Except the Lord builds the house, they that labor, what? They labor in vain. And God tells them to take the, the, the witness of the kingdom to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth. And we can see, if you'll pull up that other map, uh, the second map, how the gospel starts in Jerusalem. Then it goes into Samaria, which is that second circle. And you can begin to see um, those different places that the gospel is getting when you look at Acts 6 through that's Samaria. And then we look at how it gets to the other ends of the earth. So basically Rome and Rome is the most powerful nation in the world at the time. So basically in the, the modern known world uh, to that time, the gospel goes all over across a period of 30 years. In 30 short years, uh, a, a carpenter who was dead, buried, and raised has actually caused and sparked a a movement that has grown all the way across the most powerful empire in the world, which is the Roman Empire. And not only has he done that, but it's it's spanned across four different emperors. Rome, during this time of Acts, you will see, has four different emperors. It has Claudius, it has Nero, it has uh, others that are um, people that are rulers in Italy at the time in Rome, and those people come and they go, and some of them try very hard to squash out what they would call the Christian cult, but because God's hand is on it, it continues to what? Grow. So we see, and we're going to start at verse 9. I want us to start today at Acts chapter 1, verse 9. I'd like you to read with me. Uh, This is when Jesus is getting ready to go up, and it says this, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men in white stood beside them. Let's continue. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back again in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. That's a promise that Jesus is coming what? Back. Jesus is coming back. It's important for us to know that Jesus is coming back. Not only did he leave, but he's coming back. And we need to live as if he's what? coming back. It says, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, which was about a Sabbath day's walk 
from the city. It's important that we know that the disciples were empowered. And, and we're going to continue to read because there's a lot of reading. We won't do all the reading. I'm encouraging you to go home and read these chapters out. But I want to read a little bit more. It says, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all joined together. Now watch this. I want you to pay uh, attention to this. They joined together what? Constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary and the mother of the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And it's important for that. I put a pin there because we see that not only are they waiting for Jesus to act and Jesus to give the, the promise of the Holy Spirit, but while they're waiting on God's promise, they give themselves consistently to what? To prayer. Prayer is, a, is, is an important and vital tool that helps us to be able to connect with God. There was a saying when I was young that said, much prayer, much power, little par- prayer, little power, and no prayer, no power. And I wrote this down because I thought it was pertinent. I want to read it just like I wrote it. It says, great moves of God follow great prayer meetings. It encourages us to have a posture of prayer as we wait on empowerment from the Spirit. The Azusa Street Revival will be sparked two millennia later from people who devoted to pray. It's important that prayer becomes a heavy discipline in the church because we see these people have seen Jesus raised in the heaven. And what is their next response? They're waiting on God to move. But while they're waiting on God to move, they begin to go constantly, the Bible says what, into prayer. It's important that we build our prayer life. A lot of things in our life may not be moving the way they need to move simply because we have not prayed about those things. We have not uh, sought God about those things. And when we get ready to seek God, oftentimes it's after we've done what we want to do. And we want God to fix up what we messed up. There's an old gospel song, a quartet song that says, I got to clean up what I messed up. But most of the time, the truth is we're asking God to clean up <laughs> what we messed up if, if we're honest with ourselves. And I'm going to keep reading for sake of time uh, down to verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group about 120 and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled with which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now, I want to stop there because Peter has gone from a fisherman who is uneducated to somebody who's quoting the Bible and using prophetic scripture. This is an unction that God has been, he's been with who? Jesus. <laughs> when you're with Jesus, you're able to be empowered to do stuff that you might not normally be able to do. And God can take common people and do extraordinary things. And it is time to replace Jesus. And Peter believes that it is the time to replace Jesus, uh, to replace Judas's position. Let's keep reading. Verse seven. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all of his intestines spilled out. He gave a lot of detail, didn't he? <laughs> he's mighty He's mighty detailed. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Al-Kadama, that is the field of blood. 
For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms. Now he's beginning to talk about prophetic utterances and things that have been prophesied right there. He says, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one that dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and came out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. From one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. In other words, they want somebody who has been with Jesus the entire time from the time that we see the Holy Spirit falling on him all the way into his death, burial, and the resurrection so that they can be an eyewitness to the things that Jesus has done. So they proposed two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed. There's that word again. Everybody see that? Isn't it amazing that before they do everything and before they make any major decision, that prayer is what they fall back on? I think as believers, that should be our go-to and our default. I have a friend, and he will often say when you ask him something, he'll say, and he doesn't mind me borrowing this, let me pray before I say and I, and I always thought that that was a wonderful phrase because before we make decisions, we really need to seek God about the decisions that we are making. And, and then they go into verse 23, well, down to verse 24. Uh, then they pray, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen. Take to take over this apostolic ministry. Now we used to see they were going from disciples to apostles. They're going into evangelism. They are apostles now. Um, they're no longer just students, but they are there to propagate and spread the gospel. Now, I always thought that this phrase was kind of cold. I'm going to read it the whole way, starting from this. They said, Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take the, uh, over the, this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like they think really highly of Judas, don't they? <laughs> then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, many people raise arguments about Matthias being added, and I was talking to Brother Dave, and we were talking about a very common argument that they say the reason that much is not said about Matthias is because God intended for uh, Paul to be the 12th apostle, but that is not the case. Uh, You can't use that because the truth of the matter is that after this, many of the disciples that are other than Matthias are no longer mentioned in the Bible. We have a few characters that are mentioned, and Acts stops abruptly. We know from church history and liturgy to where these people went, and we can look at Fox's Book of Martyrs and find out that many people, uh, like Matthew and Indy and other people, carried the gospel all over the world, and we see history of that. But Matthias is chosen at this point to carry the gospel, and Matthias does carry it, and Matthias does become martyred for the sake of the gospel. Another proof of the gospel, because who would die for a lie? Would you die for a lie? So that's proof enough that these men are able to go out 
to spread the gospel, risk their lives and die. Why? Because they believed what they had saw. They actually saw Jesus raised from the dead. They actually saw Jesus crucified. They actually spent time with him. And the Bible says they ate with him for 40 days and hung out with him and talked about the kingdom. They had actually seen these things. So now we come to a very popular passage of scripture. Even Jesus' brothers uh, are at the point where they're following Jesus. And this is very important proof because if you looked at John chapter 7, verse 5, you will see that Jesus had brothers, but none of them believed in him. All of them thought that Jesus was a little cuckoo. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're following Jesus. And you have James, the brother of Jesus, even though his name really isn't James. You have him following and writing books in the Bible. Why? Because they believe what they have what? Seen. Nobody dies for a lie. Nobody gives their life for something that is not real and not important. So that gives us confidence and the reliability of the word that they have this sudden change in their attitude. And Judas, I want to drop this in here because there may be somebody who needs some encouragement that's a pastor or a leader. I want you to know that Judas has a, had a pastor. He had the best pastor in the world, but yet he was still lost. He heard the truth, he saw the truth, and he still rejected the truth. A lot of times leaders, and this is just free for those who may listen to the podcast later, are discouraged because people don't respond to them. They'll come and talk about other people's sermons, but they really don't respond to their sermons. And they'll say, well, if I was just a better pastor, well, that should be encouragement. What better pastor is there than Jesus? And Jesus says in John chapter 6, I chose 12 of you and one of you is still a devil. Even Jesus had members that wouldn't do what they were supposed to do. Even Jesus had members that although he told the truth, they rejected the truth. And not only that, that they turned on him and betrayed him to be killed. So that should be encouragement that we are not in this for the accolades of people. You have to know when you're called to ministry, number one, that you're called and that, that God sent you to do what you're called to do and that everybody that's around you may not have the same agenda as you, but if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, you keep going even when it's popular, even when it's not, even when the room is filled, when the room is empty. Don't be discouraged because God has overcome and you can what? Overcome. So let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. They've done a lot of praying. Let's read this together. Ready, read. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. A tornado, basically. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's keep going a little further. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language spoken. Let's just stop on that verse real quick. Now, we notice something in this text that not only the disciples heard the sound, but people around them outside of the building, what? 
heard the sound. If you'll pull that scripture back up, I want to look at that because we don't pay attention to that. Uh, what we generally read, and this is how we read it, we read a sound of the mighty rushing wind. They start speaking in tongues, and all of a sudden, they go outside, and these people hear. Know that God moved, and there's basically the equivalent of a tornado, a large rushing wind. And when you see moves of the Spirit, you often see it as wind. The word for spirit in Hebrew and Greek means wind. The Spirit of God is moving, and it's so loud that people around have to say, what is going on? So they rush toward the sound, and when they come there, they are amazed because just like we saw from the map, there are many people from many different countries, and they look, and it will be the equivalent of you speaking Spanish, and you see somebody that you know is French speaking in your language, and you have no idea how he's doing that. You know that he doesn't speak Spanish, but all of a sudden he's speaking to you and declaring the glorious works of God in his uh, in your native tongue. In other words, God is using this to get the message and the gospel out to everyone. Now, here's an interesting parallel you might not have thought you might not have thought of that we look in Genesis, and when we look in Genesis, God tells people to be fruitful, multiply, and to fill the what earth. But they're rebellious, and they decide to do what? We're not going to go out. We're going to stay right here. And they say, we're going to build a tower that what? Reaches heaven. We're going to build our city right here, and we're going to reach heaven. And, and that's what we're going to do. They decide that they know better than God. And, by, and the Bible says that God did what? He confused the languages to weaken them so that they could not communicate very well with one another and that nothing would be accomplished but now we see in the book of Acts that God is doing the exact polar opposite. He is bringing the languages what? Together. He is breaking the language barrier because he told the people in Genesis, he said in Genesis, the people are one, and now there's nothing they won't be able to do in order to weaken their purpose and their cause. I'm going to confuse their languages. And now God wants the church to be strengthened, so he breaks the language what? Barrier. And each one hears those people in their own tongue. Let's keep going. Because we got a lot of ground to cover. Let's, let's see how they react to this. Verse 7 says, Utterly amazed, they asked, Are all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? Parsians, and these are different countries, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, that's the Fertile Crescent like Iraq, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. That's not the Asia we're thinking of. This is Asia Minor. This is around the Turkey area. Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, which is part of Africa, and Libya near Cyrene, that's another part of Africa, visitors from Rome. So what they are essentially saying is all of a sudden something's happened and people from all around the world are here, but somehow miraculous, miraculously, we hear them all in our own language. Keep going. Verse 9, verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes are converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does this mean? So God didn't just have them to speak in tongues just to have a good service. He didn't have them to speak in tongues just to jump over seats and, and look like they were spiritual. He had a purpose that when they were speaking in tongues, what were they declaring? The wonders of God. So God is breaking the language barrier 
area, not for man's glorification, but for who? His glorification. And so when you see miraculous signs and miracles happen, miracles are never there to lift up people. If miracles happen, it's never to make a person look good. It's generally done so that glory can be brought to who? God. And when people see stuff that happens that normally wouldn't naturally happen, they know it has to be supernatural, and it gives a testament that there is a what? God somewhere. I usually don't remember my dreams. But I had a dream the other morning about somebody that I had not seen in years and then got some relevant information about that person that same very day, which was pertinent to the dream I had. I hadn't thought about them that much. I hadn't hadn't even considered them. But when I thought about that, I realized that God had allowed me to dream a dream and to be able to know some things that were going to happen. And those things happened that same day that I had that dream. And that wasn't for my glorification. That was God's way of saying, you might be a little discouraged, but I'm letting you know I'm still here. I can still do supernatural things. And sometimes when we face problems in life, we don't need a natural answer. There are some things in life that natural answers cannot, have, cannot fix. I'm thankful for counseling. I'm thankful for rehab. I'm thankful for all those things. But many people try those things, and sometimes they don't work. Sometimes you need a supernatural touch from God for deliverance from some things. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Go to the counselor. Go, go, go to the meetings. Do all those things. Those are good, but I ask you a question. Before you sought earthly counsel, have you sought heavenly counsel? Because sometimes God is able to do some things. He'll take the taste out of your mouth for some things that you wish you'd had. But there there are many instances and cases of people who were alcoholics, and one day they got saved, and God took the taste of alcohol out of their mouth. And they were smokers, and they were hurting their body, and God took the taste for cigarettes out. Other people struggle, but sometimes God will do something supernatural and he's doing that to let you know that I'm real and I'm here. Have you ever had something happen and, and, and all of a sudden you, you miss some danger or something like that? And, and we say this, something told me not to go down that road. That wasn't something. That was God letting you know that I'm God. That was sometimes God putting things on your heart to let you know that I'm still here guiding you. I'm still here protecting you. It wasn't a weird coincidence. It was that God let you in on something supernaturally that he himself was doing. Now, let's keep going. Verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them, as they will do. When God is moving with people and miraculous signs are happening, we know that the world is going to give ridicule. We know that some of the things that we do are not going to look right to popular culture. We're going to know that they look just as weird to us, or we look just as weird to them, rather, as they look weird to us. So somebody had to be that guy. You know, there's one in, the, uh, in every crowd. There's a heckler that says all of a sudden. Now, anybody that had a brain could say that all these people are speaking in a language that they do not know, and we hear them talking about God. This must be a sign from God. But you always got that one, don't you? <laughs> and so what do they say? They say they've had two too much what? Wine. They're drunk. Then Peter stands up with the 11, 
raises his voice and addresses the crowd. Now, it's important to know that Peter is standing because in Jewish culture, when a, when a rabbi talks or he's about to teach, he sits. When Jesus began to t- teach on the Mount of Olives, he didn't teach standing up. He taught sitting down. Teachers sit, but Harold stand. In other words, because he's standing, he's not there to teach. He's there to proclaim a truth. He's preaching. And so pe- we see Peter, and it said, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed this crowd. And what does he say? Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. In other words, you see, you heard the sound, you heard the tornado, and you came running to see what was going on, and now you see all these people speaking in your language, and you can't figure out why, and they're talking about God. Let me explain to you what's going on. He said, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. You got to be a major alcoholic to be drunk. By 9 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you pretty much went to sleep drunk and woke up drunk too. <laughs> that, that's a lot of drinking. So he said, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So he says, no, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now, twice we see Peter, who is a fisherman that's educated, start talking about what? prophecy. God, the Spirit has filled him. And he's beginning to talk about some things that were prophesied over over many years ago. And that's how we know another proof that the Bible is accurate because of Jesus. There are prophecies that were made thousands of years before Jesus and thousands of years before these things happened, but yet they're still coming true. And if you looked at all the things that happened in the Bible across three continents, the Bible is written across thousands of years. The likelihood that all of those things will come together and be true are infinitesimally, you don't have any room for error. It's highly unlikely that that happens unless the person that is having and inspiring the writings of these words can see the end and the beginning at the same time. And he's allowing us to see through prophecy as things are revealed to us that I'm letting you know that the only way this could happen is if I already knew what was going to happen. So this is another proof that I'm God. So we're going to go and see what Joel has said and and what he's going to bring up. He says, these people are not drunk. Let's read this together. It says, in the last days, God says... I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, will I pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Let's keep going. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. We haven't seen that yet. Keep going. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the crux of the matter. That's what he's trying to get to them and let them know that the reason these miraculous things are happening is God is trying to get your attention. Have you ever had God try to get your attention? Just freaky or crazy stuff will happen, and you just without out in the world doing what you wanted to do, living how you want to live, and all of a sudden certain things start to happen, and you're like, you, you, you want to write it off to coincidence, but after a while, there can't be that much coincidence in the world, and what it really is is God saying, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. 
And what he's saying is something big is about to happen here. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the purpose of the gospel. He's saying that if you call on God, you will be saved. You need to do that before the day of the Lord comes and God comes back. And when he comes back, there is no time for repentance. Once Jesus cracks the sky again, if you have not made him your Lord and Savior, it will be too late. So Peter is preaching this. Come on, let's go. Let's, let's keep going. Let's see how they respond to this. Verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. This is the gospel message. So if you don't know the gospel, this is it. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. So it wasn't an accident. God planned this and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Let's keep going. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him this. Now he's going into another prophecy that's written years before Christ ever got there. But let's read what he said. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because it is he at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Let's continue. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. In other words, the King James Version, I believe, says you will not abandon my soul in hell or you will not leave me in Sheol, the place of the dead. And, And we know from that point, we'll see Peter say this in a second, that David is not speaking of himself because David still has his bones in his sepulcher. So it can't be David that David is talking about. David is giving a prophecy about who? Jesus. Let's keep reading. You have made known to me the path of life. If you're looking for direction in life, follow God. You will fill me with, your, with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. So they knew where his tomb was. Let's keep going. But he was a prophet and knew what God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And Jesus is a descendant from the house of what? David. God made a covenant with David that your seed or your will sit on the throne forever. And that is the case because Jesus is the seed of David. He says, seeing what was to come, we see that God, once again, God has all foreknowledge. He spoke of the resurrection of who? the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of dead, the dead, nor did his body see decay. We know that in Jewish culture, in studying in Lazarus, that Jews believed that the spirit hovered around the body three days. Uh, that was Jewish tradition, and that's why Jesus waited for four days to go raise Lazarus, because he was sure by four days decomposition had set in, and that rigor mortis had set in, and that Lazarus' body was, was going to be decomposed. As a matter of fact, they buried different. They buried that day. They let your body decompose, and after it was decomposed, they would take your bones, put them into a little uh, sepulcher, uh, a little carrier, and they would take it and put it up in a vault next to the family, and everybody would be buried in that same place. But David is given a prophecy by the power of the Spirit. God inspired David to let them know that Jesus' body would not see decay, that he was going in the grave, but three days later he would what? Rise. 
And of all the world religions we have and all of the, the things that people say, one thing that's for certain, there is only one person that claimed to be God, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And there is only one person that raised was raised from the dead as a prophet, and that was Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And so this is what Peter is saying. He's given the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. God raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. This is where Jesus now is. And, he, and, and so we need to stop and notice that the right hand of God in, in, in ancient literature, if somebody's at your right hand, your right hand is a symbol of power and of authority. <laughs> which means that if you say, come sit at my right hand, that means you have power and authority that I've given you. So if he's sitting at the right hand of God, what does that mean? That means that he has all what? Power and all authority. God has given Jesus all power and all of authority of everything over the earth, in the earth, and under the earth. There is nothing that is not subject to Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised, the, Holy, the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. There is a difference between, and we may cover that later, between the infilling or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Those are two different things, and people often confuse the two, but they are not one and the same. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit then lives in you. Uh, Romans says, now that same spirit that now raised Jesus from the dead now lives on the inside of you. But there is what's called a filling of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that is an empowerment for acts of service. They are empowered by the Spirit to do some things, which means that God will give you supernatural results. Oh, that's my prayer. My prayer is that God begins to give this church and this ministry supernatural results, that unnatural things begin to happen, that people begin to give their life to Christ, and people that you never thought will, will come through the door, that God can be glorified. So we need to pray that God the, for the infilling of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep reading. I know I'm going through a lot, but I want to be respectful of your time. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool for your feet. So what he's saying is David wrote it, but David's not writing about himself. That David wrote this hundred year, hundreds of years ago, and it was a prophecy that he wrote about Jesus. It's amazing to me that people follow after Nostradamus and his quatrains and all those things and those prophecies, and they try to make them say often things that they do not say. It, it just because we're so enamored by the supernatural, but the Bible has is the most prophetic book on earth. And if you really study the Bible out, you will see that time and time again, it proof texts itself and has predictions that nobody could ever imagine or figure out. There's probably over 400 prophecies about Jesus alone. And all of them were fulfilled by the time Jesus comes. The Lord said, verse 36, let's read that. Go ahead. Therefore, let all Israel be assured, he's preaching a sermon, of this God may, has made Jesus whom you crucified. You, you notice how he keeps doing that? He keeps digging the nail in it. The Jesus that you crucified. In other words, God sent his son to you. You crucified him. You killed him. That's probably not a smart thing to say to an angry mob. But at the same time, he says it because he's emboldened by the what? Spirit. It's 120 of us. 
over 3,000 of them. But Peter's filling himself, and the Holy Spirit has filled him, and God's emboldened him. So he says, let's go. This Jesus who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So not only is he the Messiah, the anointed one, or the Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is Jesus' title. He is Jesus, the Messiah, or the Mashiach. He is Jesus, the anointed one. So not only is he the anointed one of God, he is also Lord, which means that he is the kurios. In Greek, the word Lord is kurios, and what kurios literally means is he's the controller. We hear and say, in him were all the worlds framed, and without him there was nothing made that was made. In other words, that if you see something made and it's here, it's because it was done for and through Christ. Colossians tells us that all things were done through him and what? For him. That you can go around every religion and every other thing you want, but if you really want truth, you're going to find yourself right back at Jesus. Let's keep going. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? When they heard this, let's keep going. He gives a prescription, and we're going to look at this. I underline these things, so I want you to see some things. Peter replied, and if anybody wants to come to Christ, this is simple. What's the first thing he says? Repent. Repent is a Greek word, metanoia, which means to change your mind. The world has, changed, has built your mindset of how you view the world. Everything you do has to do with your worldview, how you view the world, the lenses that you look through. If what I see determines what I look through. If I grow up in this type of culture, I generally see the world through this type of culture. If I grow up where everybody thinks everybody's out to get us and somebody's after us, that's what the way I view the world. That might not be what's real, but those are the lenses that I was raised with. And what God is saying is abandon your mindset and pick up mine, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name or the authority of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, you have to come to him and recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm not as good as I think I what am. And you will receive the what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for this promise, and this is the good part right here. I love it. He's talking to them, but he says, this is for you. It's not just for you. It's for your children and for all who are far off. Who are the far off people? Us. So what he's saying is this, this doesn't just work for them. This holds true to us. If you will repent, stop your way and stop trying to do things your way and be baptized in the name of Jesus, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise for everyone who does this. And I love this. I underlined it. Let's read that together starting at 4 at the last line. What does it say? For all whom the Lord our God will call. This is a promise for everybody that God calls to. Now I want to stop right there and I want to look at some things under repent. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30. It means to change the mind. We're going to look at Ezekiel 18, verse 30. Let's read that together. What's it say? Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. God has no interest in destroying us. He has every interest in saving us. But if we don't repent and we keep down a destructive path, he's a just judge and he has no what? 
choice. So God is always, he's not this big angry God sitting up with a lightning bolt like Zeus waiting to zap you. No, he's there with love saying, I sent my son to die for you because I don't want destruction to be your aim. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. This is a lot to cover tonight, but hopefully it'll be good for you. Is this helping anybody? Let's read it together. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Not only must you stop doing bad, but you got to seek to do what? Good. Now, you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. You're not saved by your works. It's the gift of God. But once you're saved, a sure sign of an apple tree is that it bears apples. A sure sign of a Christian is changed behavior. If you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for 30 years and you haven't changed, Paul would tell you to examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. It's possible that you could be a carnal Christian, but ducks quack and birds fly and sin a sin. <laughs> Simple enough, huh? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1, and let's read that. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind these are the if you want to know how to repent this is how you repent you change your mindset and say what i used to do i'm not going to do they used to say this when i was young the things i used to do i don't do anymore the places i used to go i don't go anymore in other words i used to lie so much that i and somebody will say this i'm not talking about myself but you could this is an example somebody will say i used to lie so much i believe my own lies but now I feel convicted about my lies, and I tell the truth. I used to cuss so much, I didn't even realize that they had any English that had more than four letters. But now I, I, I'm at the point where God's changing my heart, and I want to do something different with my life. I used to be addicted to this, or I used to be addicted to this. Everybody is an ex-something. But when Christ changes your life, he encourages you, and that's when we decide to what? Turn from what we've known and turn towards something what? Better. Praise God. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 431. 4 and 31. We're looking at some things that we need to put aside. Let's see all these things. Verse 31 says what? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, uh-oh, Detroit drivers. And anger, <laughs> brawling, slander, and every form, along with every form of malice. These are the type of things that we need to repent from. Let's go to verse Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 19. See if we have any of these we need to get rid of. As a Christian, you'll say, I'm a Christian. Now what? What do I do now? These are the things that you need to be putting towards, and these are our goals that we need to be pushing for as Christians. These are the acts of the flesh. Let's see what's the first one. Sexual morality, immorality. That's kind of hard today on social media because everything you see has a sexual overtone or a sexual undertone. Pornography makes more money than Google, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and everything else combined. But if we're going to follow Christ, we have to get rid of those things. We can't, bitter and sweet water can't come out of both fountains. 
which means that we have to make a conscious effort to pray and allow the Holy Spirit to rid us of those types of what? Things. Sexual immorality, impurity, dirty jokes, and stuff that we shouldn't be doing or saying. And debauchery, idolatry. Idolatry is, is, is very, we don't realize that an idol is something you simply place your affection in the, in the place of Jesus. I give you the perfect example of an idol. When you're broke and don't have no money, can't beat you in the church door. God bless you with a car. You can't come to church because you got to wash it. You get a job, and now that job is always too important. I can't make it to church. That's idle. You, you've taken that thing, which in itself is not bad, and put it in the wrong perspective, in the wrong priority, that should never stand in the place of Christ. Anything that stands in the way of Christ and your devotion to Christ then becomes an idol. There are certain things and affections that only Christ can have. You can make idols out of your family. You can make idols out of social media. You can make idols out of ideology and music and things like that. And we don't realize that we're really worshiping a lot of things. And witchcraft, in other words, rebellion and manipulation. Hatred, got somebody you can't forgive. You're a Christian, you can't. You got to give it up. Somebody said give it up. Discord, messy folk. Anybody know any messy folk? Always stirring up what? Mess. Can't be happy. Always arguing. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Always about getting to themselves. Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep going. Dissensions and factions because I want to get the, to the end. Those are things we need to get rid of. But I want you to know that God wants you to get rid of those because he's waiting for you to turn to him. Let's look at Second Chronicles 30 verse 9. We're going to see if we can get through all this. Let's read it together. If you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by what? Their captors and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you turn to him. God's not like people. If you, if you mess up, the, he's talking to them and they're about to go and, and it's fitting to be bad for them. But he says, although you have to face the consequences of your actions, God will co- if you'll come to God, he's compassionate. If you'll turn to him, let's go to Psalms 103. We're going to keep reading because I want to get to some very vital things at the end, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. Let's read this. Let's see the attributes of God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Aren't you so glad about that? Or repay us according to our iniquities. Think about what you deserve. Oh, isn't that wonderful? You know, worship comes. Leave that scripture up. Worship comes when you look at your own inadequacy. When you look at something bigger than you, it makes you want to worship. When you realize how small you are in the spectrum of life. And one thing that will help you throw up your hands better than anything is just a quick trip down memory lane to realize what I really deserve and what God gave me. And when you think about what you should have got and what God actually did give you and how merciful he was to you when he didn't have to be, every now and then before you know it, your hands will start what? They'll start raising and say, Lord, I thank you. I'm grateful. I have gratitude because I realize that I should be dead. I realize that I should be in jail. I realize that I should have an STD. I realize that I shouldn't be in the part of life that I am. I realize that things could be a lot worse. But you don't treat us according to the sins that we deserve. Oh, wow. 
For as high, let's read that together, verse 11. I love that. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Praise God. Let's keep going, verse 12. If that's it, we're going to go down, and I want you to see the conclusion of this tonight. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So if you have sinned and you're in sin, if you call on the name of the Lord and say, God, save me, I'm sorry, I'm going to turn around, and I'm not going to do those things anymore, I'm, empower me, I submit to you, guess what he does? He throws that stuff away, and he doesn't remember it anymore. He gives you a clean slate. Anybody need a fresh start? Isn't that amazing that God loves you so much? He says, I don't care what you did. If you'll just change, I'll give you a fresh start. Though your sins are as scarlet, I'll make you white as snow. Let's go to verse 39 of Acts chapter 2. We're going to keep moving. We're almost finished. There's some... I want us to see this because this is important for the church to model uh, because this is what the early church modeled. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I get excited when I say that, so I need to read it a little bit slower so I don't start running. This is the promise for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Let's keep reading. Starting at verse 40. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. Read it out of here till, till they find it. There we go. With many other words he warned them. In other words, that wasn't all of the sermon. That's just the part that Luke wrote down. And he pleaded with them. He's pleading. We should be pleading in the body of Christ. When we see people we know aren't saved, we should be pleading with them, please accept Jesus. Because we know what happens if they don't. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Save yourself from, from, from TV and save yourself. Not TV's not inherently bad, but the stuff that you see on TV and all the stuff that is godless. Save yourself from the things in this corrupt generation that every time you turn on or look on social media is something that's, that's bad for you. Save yourself from these things. Those who accepted his message, as we see some rejected, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's important because we see a quick parallel. If you were in the book of Exodus, we're not going to go there. Chapter 34, verse 2, that when God gave the law and Moses came down to give the law, at Exodus chapter 34, verse 2, we see that because of the children of Israel's disobedience, that day God killed 3,000 people because the law killeth. The letter killeth. <laughs> but when the Holy Spirit comes and acts, we see the parallel that 3,000 are given life. For the letter killeth, the spirit gives life. The, letter, the, the law that we call the law was never meant to save us. It was meant to break us down. It was meant to let us know that you can never be good enough to get into heaven. I don't care how good you are. If you can hold nine commandments for 90 years, if you break one, you're guilty of all ten. So what does that mean? I can't save myself. And when you realize you're not good enough to save yourself, you will call on the name of God. That's why a lot of people aren't getting saved in many ways because 
because we teach people false things that they are enough to thine own self be true, that you are your own God, you are your own source, you are your own this, and you can get up and go, and that's a lie from the pit of hell. You will never receive truth till you realize just how small and insignificant you are in the grand scheme of life and that you need God to find truth. You need God to find your way, that until you find God, you will be what? Blind. Now, let's see what they do. Let's, verse 42 through 47, we're going to read this, and we're done for tonight. Amen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let's see what they do. Just keep that scripture up. Leave it up, up there until we get to the next one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So when they got saved, they devoted themselves to the growth and study of what it means to be a Christian. How often do we do Bible studies personally? That's a personal question because we see when the Holy Spirit filled these people, they devoted themselves to study, which means everything that had to do with Christianity, they were voracious about learning, which means every time you turn to them, they weren't looking at something that had something to do with some foolishness. That doesn't mean we can't have leisure. But if you want, if I'm going to join your organization, I'm going to join your movement. I need to know what you what, what you're about. So the first thing you need to learn is when you come to Christ that you should study and know as much about Christ and the word of God as possible. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, which means that you should spend more time. My pastor would always tell me, he said, my friends would come to me and talk about how many people they had on Sunday morning, son. And you know what he told me? He said, I tell them, that's not your church. How many you have on Sunday morning? You have 500 people. He said, how many did you have on Wednesday? That's your church. Because <laughs> anybody can show up on Sundays to get their ears tickled. Now, that, I do know some people work and they have jobs, but there are many people who are not devoted to the study of God's word, nor are they devoted to getting better. But when God changes your life, you, you want to know of him. You get this hunger that I want to know what I'm a part of. And they devoted themselves to fellowship and to teaching. Then they devoted themselves to fellowship, which means I want to hang around other people that like Jesus. I want to find like-minded believers. Find some people that we have something in common. Because when I find Jesus, you're going to want to go to the club, and I'm going to want to go to the church, and we're going to have a problem. Because I'm trying to get a ride to church, and you hung over. And that's just not going to work. So we're going to have to make some choices and some changes in our life. So fellowship. So everybody say fellowship. Somebody say study. So those are, those are perfect tenets. Anybody who's first coming to the faith, that you should be devoting yourself to teaching and fellowship, learning whatever you can about the word, breaking a bread, which is fellowship and communion. That's the communion where we come and we say, this do in remembrance of me that we consistently keep in mind the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're almost done. And then this is cool. They devoted themselves also to what? prayer. Prayer is important and it's vital. Everyone was filled with awe. Because they did all of those five things and God is in a movement, what, is ha what happens? What's the result? It says everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. God is moving. Let's keep going. 
All the believers were together and had all things in common. Now, I need to stop because in our culture where people who don't know anything about socialism think that think socialism is cool, that is not socialism. Socialism takes people's stuff without their consent. These people decided that when we saw a need, we were going to all sell our stuff if, we, if the Lord led us to do that, and we were going to give to needy people. There's two things and two disclaimers, and I'm going to read this to you like I wrote it. They began to leave a self-centered lifestyle. They began to commune, to commune and meet the needs of their brothers and sisters in love. This is not communism. This is not a scenario where those who did not want to work or steward their resources lived off of others either because you can see in 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. But nothing is forced. This is a willing response of love and concern for one another. They were concerned for one another. In other words, I have been blessed with abundant resources. If I see somebody else that loves Jesus and doesn't have abundant resources, I'm willing to share with them. The Bible says do good to all men, especially those who are what? Of the household of faith. If you have somebody that's in the body of Christ that has a need, there should be enough people in the church to meet the what? Need. Let's keep going. Every day. Everybody say every day. That's important because you won't get a consistent result if you don't become a consistent person. Every day they continue to meet together at the temple courts. These are Jews. So uh, at the time, they're not thinking about a new, a new movement of Christianity. They're just Jews who believe that Jesus is raised. They have accepted Jesus, but they're still going to synagogue every day. They broke bread where? In their homes. They have communion in their homes, home group Bible studies. I encourage you, if you don't have one, get some friends. Bring them over. Study with the Bible with them, some that will never come to church. And once they get saved, bring them on over to church. Or before they get saved, once you've built a relationship with them and fellowship with them, bring them. Bring them to church in their homes, and they ate together with what? Glad and sincere hearts. Be a happy Christian. That don't mean everything good happens to you. But be a happy Christian. Nobody likes a sour Christian. Nobody likes a sour person. Jesus died for you. God loves you. You have no reason to frown. Turn that frown upside down. (laughs) (laughs) Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people and the Lord then, because they did that what? Added to their number daily those that were being saved. We covered a lot of ground in these two chapters, and I was trying to get it in. But it's important for us to know that if we do what God has called us, he will draw people to us. He said, by this, people will know that you are my disciples. What? By the love, the actions, the decisive actions to be selfless that you have for one another. As we become Christians, there's no longer I but Christ. There's no longer my money. It's God's money. God, you want me to give? How much do you want me to give? We don't argue about whether or not we should give a tithe of 10% or not. We say, because I love you, I'm going to give as much as I possibly can and be a good steward of my resources to help other people. Why? Because it's no longer about me. And life becomes so much better when you become less me-centered. Amen? Has this blessed anybody tonight? I know that that was a lot to cover. 
Acts is one of the longest books in the New Testament, um, and we'll make it concise. I want you to do something for me. I want you to start reading ahead in Acts. I won't read every verse as we go through the book of Acts because there are a lot of verses, but this was a foundational text, so we have to kind of see where everybody's coming from. And I encourage you to look at it on YouTube or on the church website and to begin to study it daily. They did this. They didn't do this every now and then. Let this be a habit. Whatever you eat, you will become. You are what you eat. So eat the word of God. We're so glad to have you out tonight. Uh, and for those who came for the fellowship, and we, we want to thank everybody who takes a part from the people that are working downstairs and, and doing youth work, the people that are on the cameras or in the sound booth, the people that are out here. Uh, it's just a blessing to see you, and I'm grateful uh, for you and all the things that you do. Uh, with that in mind, we're going to pray, and we're going to have, uh, if anybody knows anybody that needs prayer, uh, if you'll just intercede for them, we won't make the announcement, but just lift your hand if you know somebody needs prayer. If you know somebody that you know that needs prayer, if you're that person that needs prayer, just be transparent. Lift your hand. They don't know if it's for you or for somebody else. And, and just intercede for them while we pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you for those who need prayer right now. Uh, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We ask for your healing virtues to flow. Uh, we ask um, for the, all those who are going into surgeries right now on, on their head that you cover them right now uh, and keep them, God, in the name of Jesus, for those who are dealing with any kind of sickness, Lord God, that, they, that you will heal them and that they will be a testimony to your goodness and they will be glorified. Lord, I pray right now for my family uh, who goes through bereavement at the moment, God, that you will keep them on every leaning side and we thank you for what you're doing and help us to grow. Uh, and may you be glorified in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I declare that you're blessed in the city, blessed in the field when you come and when you go. And wherever the sole of your foot shall try will be blessed in Jesus' name.